Merci beaucoup. Parce que merci. Thank you much for mercy. Merci. Mercy. Merci beaucoup. That is thank you much. In my generation, in the 70s, early to mid, the guys, when they were talking about their bankrolls, they would use the word beaucoup. It was an emphatic term to imply much about anything. Hey, how was the party? Beaucoup. Your job's going good? Beaucoup. Very much. And then, though, it got <clears throat> translated to buku. <laughs> Do you remember that one? <laughs> Those were the Nebraskans that did that. The West Coast maintained their French integrity, but when the Nebraskans got it, they gave buku. But the derv. <laughs> so I did take French, but I cannot tell you whether or not I garnished the accurate pronunciation on it. And it's funny that I took French and went to Mexico. And, um, but at any rate, so the title tonight is simply Merci, Mercy, Thank You, Mercy. We could do the beaucoup thing, but then we get into the French spelling, and then there's going to be people saying, man, that's just not the way we spell it over here. So Merci, and it's going to be Mercy, to give God thanks for Mercy, Psalm 118, but I'm going to take you as well to First Chronicles chapter 14 to give you what is the preface to a psalm that David penned beginning in about verse 7 in chapter 16, but that isn't what we're going to talk about. We're going to talk about the thankful heart that David had in the privilege, responsibility, the conviction, and the fight to bring the ark into Jerusalem and to keep it there. Picking it up in verse 8 of chapter 14. Now when the Philistines heard that David had been anointed king over all Israel, all the Philistines went up to search for David. And David heard of it and went out against them. He's taking his rightful place. David is in the moment receiving what God had promised him all those years ago. And look who shows up on the scenes, the Philistines. Why? Well, the Philistines showed up because, as you recall, David did them much harm. And when he was much younger, at about the age of 15 or 16, he took on their head warrior, Goliath. David was the last man that they would have wanted to take the throne of Israel. If he caused such a problem when he was a 15 or 16-year-old, they said to themselves, my goodness, he'll tear us apart. 
with all of that authority. He had been moving through, as you understand, remember the study, through Philistine territory. He had been a kind of a on the lamb. He was a one following the lamb. He attended the lambs, but he was on the lamb. He was he was trying to stay evasively ahead of Saul. And in doing so, he had forged as well alliances that would allow him moving into enemy territory. Not that he was an enemy of Saul, but that in order to preserve himself, he made alliances with the enemy. But he never helped the enemy. He only gave them the idea that he was not on Israel's side. That's probably true because Saul was not on his side. But he was never against God's people. He was always for God. And David actually did some covert and interesting um, work behind the scenes taking out Philistines. It was later on discovered. But David right now is seeing that as he has been raised up, there is also the rising up of an overwhelming force against him. And rather than David being one who succumbs in fear, he takes his faith and challenges it. Now, I'm not going in per se any particular direction tonight, except that I believe that for the church in a parallel, you know, there's an uprising in the world and even throughout this nation that there are certain entities that need to submit to a change to no longer take a position that has such limited vision and such personal offense towards other individuals, other groups. There's more than one God, and there's more than one way to look at life than this narrow road that leads to this cross that supposedly ushers us into heaven. There's more ways to get into heaven than certainly that cross. Well, there will be many ways to get to heaven, but whether you get to stay there is the question. So we look at this in the context of a real-life experience of a man who knew warfare, knew what it was to be traveling without honor, and also learned in the process of being dishonored for a position that he took. The church will be dishonored for the position that it takes when those positions are held in light of Scripture and we say, this is the Word of God, and I'm not changing based on opinions, based on politics, based on laws that are baseless according to truth. Those are the years that we are in and it is the times that we would say, indeed could be perilous, but God's not through with us. We're here tonight. Praise the Lord. There are other churches that cannot meet as we are meeting. We're here tonight. The mercy of God 
thankful we are as his people, as David will demonstrate in this particular psalm, but also in this retrospective look of what he did to face the challenge. He went after the enemy. Now, things in the Old Testament are pictured differently than what we proceed to do in our faith presently because our, our fighting is waged differently. It's wave, it's, it is waged biblically. It is waged in the power of the Spirit. It is waged in humility. It is waged through prayer and the Word of God. Jesus would tell Peter in his enthusiasm to defend God. Put away your sword. Peter, that's not the way you're going to be fighting from here on out. You're going to be using doctrine. You're going to be using conviction. And you're going to be using a willingness to suffer in maintaining your integrity while representing my authority. So David, though, is a picture of what it means to not simply stand and take it, but to take it in the position of a stand for God. We know it happens when we do things that have a violent outcome, and violence will be met with a opposing reaction, and God's not interested in that. He wants simply to accomplish that response to the lawlessness of men and to do it in which men have no argument to make except something got in the way of what we wanted to do and we think that it's God. That's what those guys are saying. So David right now enters into a time of authority given to him by God. The Philistines hear of it and they come after him rather than David waiting he goes on the march to meet them head on. It says the Philistines went and made a raid on the valley of Rephaim. And David inquired of God, saying, Shall I go up against the Philistines? Will you deliver them into my hand? The Lord said to him, Go up, for I will deliver them into your hand. This is called the inquiry. What do we do in this predicament, David is saying? I've been appointed by you. I now occupy Jerusalem for you. These Philistines are coming in to attack the city of God that I named after you. What shall I do? He makes inquiry. That is what the church is to continue to do. We make no assumptions. We make inquiry. We wait confidently for the Lord to give his answer on how we are to handle ourselves in a situation in which we are being handled. Go up, for I will deliver them into your hand. God doesn't say how. He just says, go up. David was able to take the word of God, not necessarily knowing how it would transact itself in the outcome, but he just believed God, that if that's what he said, I made the inquiry, this is what I will then march on and lead others in. So they went up to Baal Perizim, and David defeated them there. Then David said, God has broken through my enemies by my hand like a breakthrough of water. There were elements of that 
uh, in tonight's song that Spencer shared, uh, written for Zach, that even in the imagery that we have of him, awashed, helpless, in the waves, he was brought out of the water. And if some of you have caught it, he had his first immersion back into water in a swimming pool, bobbing along, helped. And it's a, it's a wonderful picture, you know, of what happens when in a crisis and simply even maybe drawn from a predicament and you're reintroduced into that very, if you would, element that nearly took your life or that claimed a portion of your strength it is not unusual for God to bring you right back into it, but in a different manner, securing you in it. Not taking you out in it, but securing. He was totally secured. He had little floaties under his calf and thigh, right where the knee bends. He had somebody behind him holding him up. He had a neck floaty, and he was waving his arms back and forth like a sea turtle. He was back in the element that almost claimed him, but it was not claiming him. It was restoring him. What if, he had said, no way, I almost lost my life in water. I will never drink it again, and I will never enter it again. Isaac. But he never said that. It was his thrill actually to go back into it. I said, how did it feel? I don't know. It was 98 degrees. Isn't that the temperature of my body? <laughs> and sometimes that's kind of the thing as well. I don't know if I'm going to like the way it feels. How does it feel? I don't know. It's the same temperature as my body. I think it's good. He's got buoyancy, and he's immersed in an element in which his life was changed, but was it changed in the way that we look at it or in the way that God looks at it? In the same way, David is immersed in a battle that has a difference to it, but a similarity as well with what he once knew. And he could have said, I'm king, for Pete's sake, don't think he would use Pete's sake. <laughs> Paul might have. <laughs> Peter and Paul had some interactions occasionally. But he, he didn't say that. I'm king. I'm above this. <clears throat> the Lord rather said, you're king. You're within this. You're immersed in it. I never raised you up to outrun it. I raised you up to lead people through it. <clears throat> and so perhaps in your life tonight, you're wondering, does it ever get to where I can just chill? And it does. If you go to refrigerate it as an ice maker, you can chill. You can stick your head in a freezer. You can go to a snow zone. But no matter where you go, the fact of the matter is there will always be some challenge that you have to make an inquiry. Lord, what do I do 
in this. In order for us to say, merci, for mercy, we have to be put in a situation in which deliverance has been granted when there was no evidence that we would get out of it alive. And that's the thing, is that the enemy wants to threaten us and to put us into a reserve of faith as opposed to an employment of faith. And it doesn't matter that tonight some of us may not be there, but I'm more inclined to say, according to what I've learned all these years, all of us will be in the predicament of saying, God, I now need to inquire of you that what I'm in pursuit of, which is to remain under your authority, but with authority to do things right, then I am going to make inquiry. And what you tell me to do, I will do. And I will do no other way but your way. So obviously there was implied here this victory this breakthrough. God has broken through my enemies by my hand like a breakthrough of water. God does allow us, by the way, you know, you know, very often, and it's, I understand the humility in it, that when you've accomplished something and you're complimented for it, the humble response is, oh, it wasn't me, it was the Lord. But David here is saying, by my hand, God has broken through my enemies like a breakthrough of water. God is actually to articulate his power through us in such a way in which people say, when that guy starts talking about God, it's like he is God. We're not God. But the power of God through the Holy Spirit manifests in such a way that there's no separation. And that's what God wants in our life. If we exercise in humility, then the things that God accomplishes through us is for the purpose of proving without argument, those people are different. What they say about God happens. And when they speak the word of God, it is as if God has spoken. I don't want to mess with that. I want to become a part of that. I don't want to lose out what it is they say is being promised for them with what it is that I've seen on earth in which there's no promises that certainly have ever come to pass that have any merit of living for in the long run. By my hand, like a breakthrough of water, Zach's arms flapping in the water like a sea turtle, a breakthrough of waters. He wasn't afraid to go back into the very thing that almost claimed him. And that in to some degree, the hard stop that he had in the waters changed things. Because all along he says, I'm excited to see what God's going to do. And when they left their gods... David gave a commandment, and they were burned with fire. David's given a victory right now, and he says, this is what they've left behind, 
and it will no longer corrupt or influence those that may be lingering or that these guys can come back and snatch and use to bolster their attitude again against me. He just takes it out. And this is a picture of how sin is dealt with. The people will sin because of idolatry. These were the idols that the people basically succumbed to. And when people succumb to idolatry, and again, the, the song, the last one that, that Spencer sang, I don't tell him what to sing. I said, hey, just come up with three songs that are just on your heart to do. And they are familiar, but, you know, we're not to bow down to idols. We're not to allow our culture to influence us in cultural idolatry and away from true spirituality. The timeliness is just classic. But he burns them with fire because ultimately that's the judgment that's pending for a Christ-rejecting world. A world that says, God be damned, will be individuals that will enter into their prophecy because God will simply take the noun and reverse it with the verb. And those people will be damned because they neglected to give thanks to God. There will be no mercy for those who do not render thanksgiving and who believe. He burns them with fire. And then the Philistines once again made a raid on the valley. Therefore, Dave, Id. <laughs> Wasn't there a cartoon called Id? Something like that. In the Okay, I like that one. Don't know why I'm trying to tie it in here, but David inquired again of God, and God said to him, you shall not go up after them. Circle around and come upon them in front of the mulberry trees. I did a teaching on this not too long ago. Because I remember just seeing my notes on it not too long ago. But the inquiry this time is genuine. What do I do? Instead of saying, oh, it worked the same last time, therefore I'm going to employ the same technique this time. That isn't what God wanted. Which is why it's important that in the discipline of living our life in faith, Faith is never necessarily always going to follow a whim or even a pattern. Because we get so used to patterns, guess what? The pattern becomes our idol. And it never works. The inquiry is used to make a connection with God on the next strategy and battle plan. And I'm always reminded of that. I'm so prone to patterns. Why? It's easy for me to follow the pattern. I don't have a chance of making a mistake. I don't have to think. I don't have to humble myself. It's just the pattern. But you know that even in contemporary warfare, it's been discovered by the military. Patterns are studied by the enemy. And when they see a pattern form, they do what? they meet you at where the pattern has its weakness, predictability. And so God would say, I see all things and I see you and I know what the enemy's strategy is and therefore I'm moving you in an area that forces you into the unpredictable. But it's to get you out of the predicament 
that a pattern would lead ultimately to your demise. And so you can ask yourself, do you follow the same pattern? And I'm saying, humanly speaking, see, there are spiritual patterns we ought not change. The reading of the Bible, that's a pattern you're to keep. Do it according to the pattern. The way that your heart beats for church shouldn't change. It doesn't matter how many churches are trying to change their opinions about God and doctrine concerning God. You should not ever allow that to change. So doctrine, you never change. Communion, you never change. The forbearance and discipline of prayer, you ought not change. Where you pray, you can change. But you should never say irrelevant, unnecessary, never works. I don't pray as fluently as that person. Or my prayers have gone, if you would, so unattended for so long, I don't care. It should never be that way. Some of us get weary in our pilgrimage and we decline and we step back from prayer. It could happen at any time. It happens to pastors, to teachers. It happens to Sunday school workers. It happens to laity. It happens to congregants. And that's not an indictment. I'm saying understand that that does happen. It can be taken advantage of by the enemy. What you do is say, hey, I'm outside the pattern. I'm going to get my game back on. This is warfare. I am finding myself slumbering. I'm finding myself not as sharp as I should be. I have a vision challenge. And I also have one of those things where <clears throat> I try to make something last as long as it can. But I've discovered that now after about five years or six years off of a four-year prescription, I'm running out of time. And so my progressive lenses are telling me that my straight line of sight is not so straight any longer. Progressives are funny because when you put them on, they'll say, try them on and tell me what it looks like. It looks like I'm on a ship that's going over breakers. Oh, well, your eyes will get used to that. Why don't you just take a stroll down the, down the lane there? Just walk around the store and it'll get better. And so you go down the aisle and you come back to the optometrists. And how do they feel now? I feel like I'm going to get sick. Okay, well, then you need an adjustment. Thank you. <laughs> and so they tweak it. The, the progressive lenses are interesting. They tweak it and your eyes have to hit a certain part of your lens. And if not, you feel seasick. So if you see me <laughs> like walking on a ship, my progressives are needing to have adjustments. So you'll see me do this with them. You'll see me pull them out like this. You'll see me try to catch the lower lip. This happens to be one of the glasses that was hiding. This is like number three out of like four that I, that I alternate through. See, I'm having to make changes to accommodate what's not so clear now, but I know what it means. I got to go in and see the doctor. I don't want to see the doctor. I've got to see the doctor. And I'll leave it at that. I don't like seeing any doctor. I like you guys in Colorado, though, and in Crescent City, and in Redding. You guys are great. Don't come after me, please. Ha, 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 ha.
I do like doctors, but you know what I'm saying. And so in this conclusion right now, David's making an inquiry so that he can see clearly and so that he knows how to handle the will of God concerning the way of the Lord because he has authority. We have authority. Make certain that in the authority that God has given to us, which is much, our inquiry has to do with carrying out the dispatch of what he has said we need to do. We're being perfected. You may not do it perfectly, but God knows our heart and intention. Why? Because he's merciful. That's what Psalm 118 will say. It's the thanksgiving to God because he's merciful. Merci. Mercy. Persecute. For. It's not persecute. Persecute. For. That conjunction that links it. And so you shall not go up after them, circle around, and come upon them in front of the mulberry trees. So he's given a placement, and he's given really a time frame expeditiously come in front of them. And it shall be when you hear a sound of marching in the tops of the mulberry trees, then you shall go out to battle, for God has gone out before you to strike the camp of the Philistines. Notice this. The battle's not over. He just has the signal of when he's to engage. It's not like they're back there. Guys, uh, let's see, a poem I've got, and he prepares a, a table before me in the presence of my enemies. So let's set up the picnic table. We're just going to watch God here. I know you feel that breeze. We're in the front of the mulberry trees, but we're good. Come on, let's bring out the food. There you go. We're going to watch God. God says, when you hear the mulberry trees rustle, then you go out and engage in battle. Don't break your hammocks out. And don't start having an experience of koinonia. Engage the enemy. Take them out. I'm pairing up with you. I'm showing you what it's like to be strengthened and to enter into an engagement for victory. Not for your defeat, but for my glory. You're going to be invited to share in the spoils. And God has gone out before you to strike the camp of the Philistines. When you hear that sound of the marching in the tops of the mulberry trees, then you shall go out to battle. The symbolism there is that angels are not having to connect with earth, and there's an army. Chariots that fill the mountainsides of wherever the enemy may be intending to do battle in our communities, in our homes, angels that are marching just above the mulberry trees, winds that pass and waft across our faces, even as some would say the Santa Anas are ferocious, stars that shoot across the sky, seraphim. And I look at things as they may indeed be expressed in faith. Oh, it could be the wind very likely is a breeze, but what if, what if God is saying on the march, dispatch, thousands of them, answering the call to prayer, going before you, 
in battle. I know that at least if I'm fanning my face as a good Baptist word in a Southern church, that's mechanics and it's probably not Gabriel doing that. But when there's this rush and the surge and it's because I've made inquiry with God, then it's very comforting to me to believe that I'm simply joining a massive force of spiritual warriors and God's allowing me to have victory with him as opposed to defeat apart from him. And David did as God commanded him, and they drove back the army of the Philistines from Gibeon as far as Gezer. And the fame, notice this in verse 17, when David went out into all lands, and the Lord brought the fear of him upon all nations. Because David, in just a very short time, took no time in responding to God and realizing that those Philistines that had been a part of his previous battle experiences and former alliances, and by the way, former alliances are necessary at times to purge because they have no part of what God wants to do in the present. There's a time in which you say goodbye to the things that hold you back from God. Every man and woman, child here, if you haven't done it, it's coming because you've signed up. You've signed on the dotted line. I never once heard my brothers nor my father tell me that they told the Marine Corps what to do. The Marine Corps always told them what to do. And I never heard from them any excuse that was found within their heart or voiced on their lips except, yes, sir. And that's what they did. And when there's a force of people that are doing what they're told to do because God is commanding them, then there's nothing that God cannot do. So you may say, okay, so when do we get on to the merci for mercy? Well, this was a prelude to it because this was ultimately about David wanting to secure the ark in Jerusalem. This was his city. God had given him that for authority. And you know what? He wasn't going to rest on his position. He wanted to humble himself before the ark of the Lord. And so if our intention is always to say, I want to get closer to God, I'm in this position right now for a season that I might be able to draw closer to God and influence others who do not know God. I may not be able to drag them here, but I can make a statement about what it takes for me to desire the house of God. One thing have I desired of the Lord, and that shall I seek after that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life. And we have people that dwell in the house of the Lord in this place whenever they can. We do. All of us would. We have activities to do. But you know what? The one thing that we can say is on Thursdays, we dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life. My life isn't, we don't know. We got in this place. We're going to leave this place, but we don't know the days of our lives. God does. 
And if the last place we were able to come into was the house of the Lord, that's a pretty awesome testimony. If in the next move, God says, so glad you came. Now enter in. It could happen. Even as a church, the Lord could come back for us. We've been teaching of that in Revelation. We are to live in the expectancy that he will come and take us out. But while we are here, we take territory. We take territory spiritually. We occupy wholeheartedly believing that while doing so, we account for the mercy of God. This was a merciful thing of God, by the way. Why? Because David experienced victory. When victory comes, it is also not discounting mercy. At any time that it was not shared here, there could have been a bad move. There could have been a stalled moment. There could have been a disobedient soldier. There could have been a really bad Philistine that provoked a really difficult challenge for David, not voiced. And the reason he's not permitted to pen it is because God only wanted the details that pertain to obedience in obtaining victory. And whenever you obtain victory, you must understand, you must, you must account for mercy. I didn't get what I deserved. I wasn't really thinking too good in the fog of war. I know, I, I know, I forgot my sword. I think that I did curse in that, you know, when I got that mm, right there, didn't expect it, let out a bad. There's things that we do, even in our honorable disposition to take footsteps in faith. And God says, I've got that covered. How so? Mercy. It deserves this. I'm going to give you this instead. A stay. A reprieve. An appeal. And David understood what that meant in his life. Therefore, it is not unusual to see David extend it to others throughout his reign. Some didn't work so well. Did you know that the mercy of God doesn't always work so well for God's advantage? He gives out a lot of mercy. Very seldom does he get thanksgiving for it. Because men, women, children were either ignorant or arrogant, vain or completely just insane. And God never gets what he deserves for sparing us of what we deserved. And so you guys look lively and as though you could handle Psalm 118 tonight, but I've given you the prelude. And we will then take a look from that prelude about the points that are being made by the psalmist. It's not yet per se credited to David, but there are things that relate to where we were just out in 14 that follow in 15 up to 16 that imply David very likely as the author of this hallelujah psalm, this Hosanna poem.